We are not in the Lord's Prayer today. We're taking a little side, a little break, a little side excursion this morning. Um, but uh, can you put up that sl- that slide anyway? Um, I don't want to break our streak, right? <laughs> We've been doing this, and uh, and uh, and so, and I think it's good. Um, I've just been really enjoying walking through this and and contemplating our prayer and and how we should pray and and stuff. So let's let's read this together um, this morning, and as we're in the habit of doing, read this with you. It says, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come." Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and us our. Uh, <laughs> we forgive. Let's start over. Let me turn around here. My glasses are not. I just realized. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Man, I thought I could pull that off, but the words are a little bit different than I remembered them, and that was a little blurry, so <laughs> I apologize for that. So, um, um, so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 130 this morning. And, and so when we, when we look at this, and, and as I was thinking about the, this, this passage, it's just something I've been, I've been studying through and, and kind of working through some things in the book of Psalms. And as I, and as I was singing that song this morning, that last song that we sang, um, a great song. It's a, it's a moving song, and 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 how how music when we when we sing songs and we hear music, we hear rhythms, we hear beats. It affects us, right? As as good reformed Christians, we're supposed to say, well, it's not about the emotions, right? It's about the truth in the song, right? That's what we're supposed to say. That's what I believe. If I were going to write a paper about music and worship, that's what I would say. But when I stand in, in here with all of you guys and that that sings, and I'm reading that truth and singing that truth and the Lord touches my heart, that's a whole different thing that I can't put it out on paper, right? And that's okay. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a good thing, and that's a gift from God that he's given us. That's a gift from God, and, and, as, I, and as I look through that, this is a total side thing, I didn't even plan to say this, but that, that, that line in there, you know, the, you know the one line that people complain about in that song? You guys know about this, if you're online and people talking about this, it says that um, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. People said, well, that's not theologically correct. This isn't heaven. And, and as I was reading this this week, as I was sitting there singing that song this morning, as I was reading the, this week in John chapter one, that song is a perfect, a poetic explanation of that says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in heaven with God. And he created all things. And then in the, in the 14th verse of the John chapter one, it says, but the word became flesh. And what a beautiful thing that is, right? The name of Jesus, that he, the word, the everlasting God stepped out of heaven. He brought heaven down for sure. And so we celebrate that this morning. And as we, as we get into this this morning, we're looking at a song in Psalm chapter 130 this morning. This book of Psalms as a whole are poetry and their songs, they were set to music. There are a lot of uh, modern songs that have been written to these. There are a lot of old songs that have been written to these. And actually, if you guys grew up in some things, you ever heard of a Psalter? You ever sang out of the Psalter? What it is, is it, it's, it's the book of Psalms set to tunes, and you just sing the book of Psalms. That's something that they did in the Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, but also in Christian traditions that, that, that that these songs were songs of praise and they were applied to different seasons. You know, we have, we have Christmas music, right? We sing then and we have 
Easter music, right? And we talk about the resurrection and we have all those songs that are kind of seasonal. Well, these were applied to certain events and festivals and, and celebrations within, within the Jewish nation, with the kingdom and with the Jewish people. This specific group of Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is called the Psalms of the, the Songs of Ascent. If you see that, that label on top of those Psalms from 120 to 134, it says a psalm of a song of ascent. And what it's speaking of is what these were, and some people disagree with where it came from, but the purpose for these were they were sung when when every year people would go to Israel, right? And they would go to Jerusalem, and it was this literal thing that Jerusalem was set up on a hill. And as the as the, the, the families and the nation, the people came from all over, as they came to the, the, the city of Jerusalem, these songs they would sing about the God that they served as they ascended into there. Some of them seem, seem to come out of and speak of the, the Babylonian captivity as well, a more specific event where they were out of, they were taken out of Jerusalem and they finally got to go back. And as they celebrated and as they looked forward to going up to Jerusalem again. But all of these are, are these songs that they sang that, that, that in preparation and to, and to worship God in a special way at a special time. One commentator I read this week, and not being as specific, referred to them as pilgrims. These are pilgrim psalms. They're songs of ascent, but they're songs of pilgrims. And it is a, it's the thought of these people that are going from one place to another and singing the praises of God as they go, as they go to a destination where they're going to meet God in a special way. Another one put it like this. It says that, that, that in general, not a, not a literal, like specific going up to Jerusalem, but how these can be applied to us is that these pilgrim psalms are for people that are on a journey from somewhere a long way away toward the heart of God. And wherever we're coming from, wherever, we're, wherever we're, we, our past has brought us, all the things that we, the baggage that we carry with us, that when we praise and we, and we draw near to God and near to his heart, we ascend to where he is. We come from where we are low and we go to the highest place. And that's what I want to look at this morning in this Psalm 130, this Psalm of Ascent, as we see it and see that it is both a, a physical description of something, right? We have Jerusalem, we have a place to go, but also the spiritual implications of that we are all on a journey toward the heart of God. We are all moving one step closer every day to where God wants us to be as we mature, as we are sanctified, as we are being conformed into the image of his Son. And so we see this beautiful thing that when, when this was written, they didn't know what, how it would work out. They knew they were going back to Jerusalem one more time, sacrificing animals and praising in the only way that they knew how, but that was incomplete. And we have the beauty of looking back on this, looking back on what was written here and apply that to our lives as believers who believe in the one who would come and fulfill all of these things. So read with me in Psalm 130 this morning, if you have your Bibles out. Psalm 130. And this is a short psalm, but as you look at it and remember that these are poems or songs, you'll see that these are very well broken down into verses and choruses. And I think that's what's cool when you read through the psalms. You could see how, how even if you hadn't sung this song before, you could see how it, it comes across as a song and it builds on itself. Um, another, another person described it even as um, 
this, these songs of ascent when they were sang, and, the, and the, 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 uh, the pattern within all of these psalms is an ascending crescendo as well. As, we, as it starts with this low thing, this, this kind of, and you guys just witnessed that, right? Because saw it happened, that last song we sang, it started in this place. And, and we're singing, and we're singing the truths about God, and we praise God for, for, for not only what he's done for us, but what he's gonna do, and we build into this, and, and in that way, these are an ascent as well, an ascent to the heart of God, even through the song that we sing. And so Psalm 130 says this, my soul waits for the Lord, a song of ascents. Verse one, it says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. And O Israel, hope for the Lord, for with the Lord there is a steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities." Psalm 130 begins in these verses, and you can see how it's broken up in your Bible. There's four verses here. Four verses, well, eight, eight verses as Bible verses, right? But four verses of a song. Verse one and two go together, three and four, five and six and seven and eight. You can kind of see that pattern that's in there. So let's look at, and that's how we're just kind of break this up and walk through this this morning. And, and as we look at this in the days when it was written, but also how it applies to us as believers this morning. Number one is a cry for mercy. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. And what the psalmist is doing here when he writes this is, is similar to what, what we see in the Lord's Prayer that we've been there. Remember the first line of the Lord's Prayer is hallowed be thy name, right? What he is doing is he is putting himself in the proper position to worship, the proper position to pray to God, to cry out to God, and he says that I am in the depths, from the depths here, my, I'm pleading for you for mercy from where I am. Not that I'm equal with you, not that I'm anywhere near you, but I'm in the depths of the sea. I'm in the depths of the mire. I am, I am lower, I'm in, the, I'm in this, this pit. In the Old Testament, this, this concept of the, these dark depths of the sea were this, this, this fearful thing. Right, it was it was that unknown. We see, we hear about monsters that lived in the. Let all the kids go and tell them monster stories about the Bible. You can look them up. But 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 we, we hear these stories like in Job and and in these Old Testament passages of these creatures that that lived in the sea and they were scary. And we see even in the New Testament with Jesus and the and the. Uh, that the, the sea overcoming the boat and, the, and, and the, the pictures of that, we think of Jonah, right? That as he was thrown into the sea and this big fish grabbed him. And so this, this concept of the depths of the sea was something that was very clear to them and saying, I am in this awful bad place, I am lost. My life is on the line, I am, I am almost dead. And he cries out from that place saying, I am in this place. I know that, I know that it's the, the people that are surrounding me, right? Israel has had a hard time with enemies that surrounded them literally, but also in their sins, they knew, the psalmist knew that he was a sinner, that he was crying out to God, not from a place of, that he deserved that, not of a, from a place of, of that, that look what I can do, look, look what I can offer to this relationship. But he prayed from the depths. 
from deep down. Utter darkness, consumed with fear. In the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah speaks similarly of this. And, and, and um, in chapter 3 of the book of Lamentations, verse 52, you don't have to turn there, but uh, you, can, you can write that down. Verse 52 of the book of Lamentations, it says, I have been hunted by a bird by those who are my enemies without cause. So, so he's, he, this, this, this lament that he is giving is that these people, he's been hunted like a bird. Like you can imagine just the fear there. For those who are enemies without cause, they flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head and I said, I am lost. And so this picture of being hunted and captured and thrown into a pit and drowning in this pit, he says, I, but, he, but the, the, the author of Lamentations said the same thing here that the psalmist did. And he said this, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit and you heard my plea. You did not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord, and you have redeemed my life. The author of this psalm is approaching God from this place because he knows he can't do anything by himself. He can't save himself from that situation. He's been in this pit, in this darkness, in this fear. When we're consumed by our situation, there's nothing we can do to get out of it. And so many times, you guys know as well as I do, is that's when God touches us and, and we realize that I am at this place, I'm at the low, and my only option is to cry out for mercy from God. The author of this had that relationship that he knew that he was in a place where he needed God and that was his only response. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy as he begs God for mercy for his situation, for his even his life. Verse three goes on and says this, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He, says, he said, if you were going to take a, 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 a count of my iniquities, the count of my sins, if you were gonna mark these down in a ledger, what hope do I have, right? That, that first one when he's calling out from those depths, remember I said it was because of those people that are surrounding him and the, the situation of his life, but he realizes also that it is because of the sins that he has committed, the iniquities, the, his imperfection in the presence of a perfect God, his unholiness in the presence of a holy God. And he says to God, if you were to count these out, who would stand in front of you? Rhetorical question, right? But the answer is no one. The answer is no one could stand in the presence of a holy God because they are not holy like that holy God. If you, O Lord, should mark, my, mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But the response of God in this, though, is not one of like, yeah, you're right. Correct, you're, you're good. You realize that you're, that you're a sinner and you're worthless and I'm gonna leave you in the pit, I'm gonna leave you in the depths in your life. Yeah, I can hear you, because I'm God, I'm everywhere, I can hear what you say, but I'm gonna ignore you because you deserve that. And even in the Old Testament, the psalmist here knew enough about God and the promises that he had given. He didn't know Jesus, but he knew enough about the promises that God had made to his people that he had called out as his own, that he said this. He said, but you, 
But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. He said, my fear is going to go from a fear of the darkness and the depths that I'm living in to a redemption, a forgiveness in my life in a sense that I'm going to fear you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to revere you as God because you're the only one that could pull me out of that pit. You're the only one that could forgive those sins, right? What a a picture of what Jesus did for us that we did cry out, that he called us to himself. We cried out in the depths of our sin, in the depths of, and you guys all came from different spots, right? We have people in here that were saved when they were little. We have people that were saved when they were old, right? And everywhere in between. But God called you out of that, 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 that fear and that darkness in your life into a marvelous light. That's what he did. The psalmist recognized that. But with you, there is forgiveness to be feared but with you, all of those things, but God in his, in, in his goodness and his love for us and his righteousness. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us and what, a, what an awesome thing to encourage us as believers when we read this, when we read this song, this song of praise and worship to God that he brought us out of that called him to himself, redeemed us. And in him, there is forgiveness of all those sins. He takes that tally book and it goes away. And what is left is the only tally book is the Lamb's book of life that my name's written in. The third stanza in this song speaks of waiting for the Lord. And we see that there's songs and things that, that talk, we talk about this waiting upon the Lord. And what this, isn't, what this, what this thing isn't is just, a, just I'm going to sit down and see what God does, right? We're never commanded to just sit and wait, to be sit idle. Actually, the opposite is true. We are warned against idleness in our lives. We're warned that, that, that not to be lazy, right? We're not supposed to sit here. We, we, we see in, even in the New Testament when Paul calls out some people that there's people that deny the second coming of Christ, but there are also people that believe in it so much that they just go sit on a hill and wait for it. And both are wrong, correct? Right, both are wrong, but that one of idleness that these people would sit on there, we see that, um, we see that in our day too. People selling their things and saying, well, Jesus is coming back you know, next week, so... I'm, I don't need to work. I need to show up. I'm not going to even call in this week if Jesus is coming back. So waiting for the Lord is not sitting idle, but it is this active, intentional waiting. And he, and he describes this in here too, if you see this. He says, he says, I wait on the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. What an awesome thing he says. He says, my soul, I wait for you here, and in your word is my hope. What a significant thing. For him to write in there that I hope because of the word, the promises, the covenants that he made with his chosen people. And what would we talk about when I first walked up here in John, the word became flesh. It says, in your word is my hope. I know he didn't know about Jesus yet, but what an awesome word to have in there. He says, what is my hope in? My hope is in the, is the everlasting word of God. It's in his scriptures, what he's told us. It's in his law is tied up in that as well, but also in the one he would send. My hope as a believer is in Jesus. 
I wait on the Lord. It says, my soul waits for the Lord. And look at the example he gives, and he mentions it twice, right? That makes things important, right? When, we, when, when, you, when you repeat things, it's like, I, was, I know you heard me say it, but I'm going to say it one more time so we're clear. He's saying the intensity of how I am waiting is not just sitting and seeing what God is going to do. But he says, more than a watchman, and he says, my soul waits for the Lord, more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. And we see this, this image of this, this night watchman watching for that first light to come up. And, and we see this person that is on duty, is on call, is, is, is focused on a task. Because of what this watchman knows and what his job is, that he is, yes, he is waiting. He maybe, maybe look from the, from, from, from the outside, look like this person is sitting there, right? And just watching out over, the, over this wall or of this city or whatever. But what it is, is this intensity that I have a job to do, that I know the plans that are coming. And I wait in hope. I wait with intention. I do the things that I am called to do while I'm waiting. This is an active waiting. When I wait upon the Lord, I am living a life that God has called me to live. I'm doing the things that God has called me to do. And I'm doing those right up into the day that he comes back and takes me home. Okay? There's, there's, no, um, there's no retirement as Christians, right? You all have your 401ks and your and social security, which you know, might not be there. And, 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 and all these things that we think about when we think about, well, if I work hard enough in my life, I can retire and live the good life, the American dream. Good, that's awesome. But as believers, there's no retirement. As I wait on the Lord, as I see, and what a, what a blessing it has been to, to see some people in my life that are retired and what God used them because they had the time in their lives now because they didn't have to work 70 hours a week anymore. <laughs> to serve the Lord in their retirement. And as those people are waiting on the Lord and, and have been waiting a lot longer than I have, but doing that with intention and with purpose and with zeal and with, with passion for what God is doing. It's not a sitting down and being idle and waiting for Jesus. It's a, we have some work to do in the kingdom of God. And we're gonna do that right up into the time until that kingdom is real and, 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 and has come in its truest sense. Verse seven, as we go into this, and and as we see that this is a a physical thing, but also a spiritual thing, right? It's It's a physical, people actually sung this song, walking down a dirt road and going up to a place. But it's also this spiritual thing, this look up. And we see that this, this is this encouragement that he gives for hope. And you see how this is ascending in, even, in, even in the stanzas. We see, this, we see this, this cry for mercy, the Lord's forgiveness, and now we are waiting on the Lord. We're watching for the Lord. And then we see kind of this crescendo into this last verse here. And it says this, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with his plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. When it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord there is steadfast love, that, that this hope that we have in God, and this, this word steadfast, when you think of that, you think of this solid foundation, this rock, this thing that can't be moved, that God's love for us cannot be touched by anything else, cannot be, cannot be removed from us, cannot be shaken at all. It's this, it's, it's this steadfast love that he has for us. 
this, this steadfast love, and it says also with this plentiful redemption. It's weird that, that when he puts these adjectives in there, and because and, and, if you said if, if, if with Jesus, with God, there is redemption, that's one thing. But when we put a word like plentiful in there, you see what he's saying. It's almost like this ridiculous amount of redemption that he offers. That it's, that it's not just enough redemption that, that hopefully, you know, I can forgive all these sins. Hopefully, you know, there's enough to go around. It says that it's plentiful. It's, it's more than enough. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so, and so the psalmist, and remember in the Lord's prayers, we've been going through that too, how it's not an individual. It's not teach me how to pray, it's teach us how to pray. And in the same sense, when the psalmist writes this song, this kind of prayer to God, it is in the corporate sense of Israel. He says, yes, me, it's, it's fine to pray for God's mercy and God's redemption. It is an individual thing. It is a relationship that I have with Jesus, but it is so much more than that because we're sitting here this morning as the body of Christ, as the church, and when we talk about, when we sing the praises to God, when we pray to God, we do that individually, but also as a corporate group, as the body of Christ, as a local church here as well. And the psalmist points out that, that it's not only redemption individually, but this is something that says he will, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, that, 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 that this, this thing is not just one person, but this is all of his chosen people, Right? So not only is this, this, this redemption plentiful, it's enough. It's for all of those who he has called to himself. When we read that in Israel and his iniquities, talking about this man Israel, but talking about in a, in a poetic sense, those who have been called to God, who believe in God, have the faith of Abraham, have faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this, this, this faith of Israel, that he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. And what a beautiful thing that is. In the book of Titus, this letter to Paul, that Paul wrote to Titus, chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this. And remember, as we're seeing this, we're seeing this as ancient Israel singing a song of ascent, looking forward to what God is going to be doing. We see the result of that in Paul's encouragement to Titus in this letter. We see this encouragement to him and this almost this fulfilling of this Old Testament thing that they were looking forward to. We see it come to life here between Paul, an apostle, who's training up leaders and he's, he's encouraging leaders in these churches. And he says this in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, brings salvation to all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. All right, he's saying, he's saying the, the, the salvation has come that was promised. The salvation has come that we have all been waiting for. And he says, teaching us through, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us to not live a life like we used to live, but to redeem everything about our lives, the way who we were, our identity, but also our actions and the way that we lived in sin as the Gentiles did, remember? He says this salvation has come, has come to you to, to teach you, to, to train you against all of these other things. And then verse 13 says, and waiting for our blessed hope. 
And so in the same way that the Israelites were waiting for a blessed hope in the Old Testament, remember they were hoping for this future. They were waiting in an active waiting, knowing that God had promised certain things to them and they were waiting for those things to happen and living their lives and serving him and worshiping and singing these songs and going to Israel every year. In the same way, we as believers have a blessed hope as well that God is not done with his plan of redemption yet. That, that we can see the things that we see right now. We have the word of God. We have his truth. We know that, that we see salvation. We see, we see God working in people's lives and saving them and changing their hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and seeing that right before your eyes and seeing God do all those great things. But we still have a blessed hope for the future as well. We look forward to what God did, is doing, and will do in the future in the same way that the Israelites did when they sang that song. They had seen in the past that God had made promises to their forefathers. They saw God working in their lives and saving them and, and the ways that they were, they were given, you know, when they came out of the Babylonian exile and were given Israel back and they went to Jerusalem again and all of these things, they had seen God do things awesome in the past, things right now, but the psalmists looked forward to the future just like we do waiting for our blessed hope. And what is that blessed hope? It says the peering of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we look forward to Christ coming again. And all of that darkness and depths that we still have to cry out from, it's not all fixed yet, right? You guys have some rough times in your lives from now and again. I know some of you guys have it better than some and don't struggle with things anymore, but the, the, us normal folks... We have things that, 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 that consume us still. We have sins that we struggle with. We have, we have cars that break down and we have, and we have um, mortgages to pay and all of these things and we have, and we have uh, sickness in our family, all these things that bog us down in our lives. I have the hope in Jesus that someday he's gonna take care of all of that too. And that's, that's what we're looking forward to. It said, waiting for the glory of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, listen to this, a people for his own. Does that sound kind of familiar territory? We talk about the people of God. That he did all of this to redeem those people. Those people, not of, not of the, the line of Abraham, like Paul says, right? But of the faith of Abraham. Those who trusted in God. Those who trust in God now and to purify himself for a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works as we continue to wait on the Lord and if we have a zeal that only God can give us to do those things that he has called us to do until the day he comes. 